This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Halai Argandawal, at Halai underscore 23 on Twitter, is the former captain of Santa Clara's women's soccer team and is a current member of the Afghan women's national team. Halai is not only a professional soccer player, but is an advocate for the empowerment of women all around the world. When she's not out in the world trying to change norms, Halai heads up social media at Goal 5, a soccer brand that puts females first. Born to Afghan refugees, Halai was raised in California's Bay Area and grew up in an environment that encouraged her to pursue the sport that she fell in love with as a little girl. And she gives full credit to her parents, who at the time were the first in their family to allow a little girl to play soccer. In this conversation, you'll hear her talk about the role that her parents played in her development as a player and as a person. She gives a very good synopsis of her childhood and why her experiences were so much different than some of her national team teammates. And she also shared some very specific stories about what it's like representing a country that she has never been to, how privilege has played a role in her life, and why opportunity matters and her plans to give back to the city of Oakland. This particular episode is an incredible look into women's soccer through the lens of a young female player who is taking full advantage of the opportunities that she has been given. Her perspective is super valuable. And her voice will only continue to amplify as she continues to get more and more involved. Halai is a club ambassador for Oakland Roots, a soccer club that seeks to harness the magic of Oakland and the beautiful game of soccer as a force for social good. You can find out more about Oakland Roots and you can find all of the links to connect with Halai on social media if you check out the write-up portion of this podcast available on 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can learn more about becoming a 343 Coaching Education member, which is the program that helps to support and fund this podcast. The 343 Coaching Program is a comprehensive look at Brian Clyburn's experiences as a coach in American soccer. Years of trial and error were captured on video and then organized by his brother Gary Kleiben into a simple yet powerful educational platform that provides you with access to real training sessions, real match footage, with additional audio lessons, ebooks, and member forums for high quality collaboration with other like minded coaches from across the country. If you are new to 343 or not sure what program I'm even referring to, no worries. We actually have a free course that will help you get to know us. You are able to dip your toes into the water as we introduce the bread and butter of the 343 methodology to you in seven online lessons. Then, whenever you are ready, the 343 Premium Coaching Education course is where you will take a much deeper dive as you dissect the actual exercises which developed multiple national team caliber players. And most importantly, you get a chance to see the process start from when the players were 10 years old and then how they improve over time becoming professional players as teenagers. If you are already a member, thank you so much for your continued support and your commitment to the development process. We appreciate you so much. And it is actually 
the members, which uh, deserve a special thank you every single episode, even though I don't give it every single episode, but the members of the 343 Coaching Education Program, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, because it's really you guys that actually uh, keep the lights on here. So thank you. Uh, If you would like to find all of the benefits of our free and our premium coaching courses, you can do all of that by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode with Halai Argandawal. Good morning. Good morning, John. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? Can you hear me fine? It's perfect. It's perfect. Okay, great. Uh, I might sound a little bit funny because I'm talking into a microphone that's going to make it sound really good for the recording, but my phone is actually like a foot away from my mouth. So if I sound no funny, problem. just just know that it'll it'll turn out okay for the interview. Okay, great, great. All right, so. My first question. We're just going to jump right into this, right? Is that what we yeah, agreed to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, how do you pronounce your name? Halai Argandawal. Okay. And you go by Lai? Yeah, that's like um, my my family and my close friends, they call me Lai. I think it's more the past couple months, um, I think more people have just started calling me Lai, which I don't mind at all. I, I actually like it. So Halai or Lai, whatever works. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, do you, this is kind of a, a, a weird way to start a soccer interview, but I'm going to, I want to use your name as kind of like a talking point. Um, sure. <laughs> Do you ever do you ever use that moment when when you have to teach somebody how to say your name properly as a way to talk about you know where your name come from comes from or like a little bit about your your past or your upbringing? I um, it's a great question. Um, it happens often where obviously it it's a foreign looking name, so I get a lot of questions of oh can you repeat it? Can you pronounce your name again? And um, I, I tend to not jump into like my, my roots, um, or my background unless asked. Um, cause I think a lot of what has happened in the past or since I've grown up is I like to talk about soccer. And for me, so if we're talking about conversation about soccer, like that's what I'm going to keep it to. And if conversation takes me to why I started playing or, or, uh, what national team I'm playing for, I like direct it that way. Um, but if people ask, like, how do you pronounce your name? I'm just going to say, oh, my name's Halai. Uh, keep it simple. But when people ask, like, where, where are you from? And then I get that more often, which is a different question. Um, I always get the where are you from? And I go, I'm from Alameda, California. <laughs> and then it goes into the, uh, no, but where are you actually from? And um, I'm like, well, I was actually born here, but my parents... Uh, we're born and raised in Afghanistan. So the conversation kind of, it depends. It depends on the mood and the setting. Like most most days, I'm just kind of like, my name's Halai, and I'm here to play soccer. So <laughs> I like to keep it keep it straight. But, um, I mean, I think when people ask, it's more of just 
it's a foreign name. It's new. Where is it from? And, and I don't mind that at all answering those questions. I don't. Um, cause I get it. I mean, I have questions about other people's names too. So yeah, hopefully that wasn't too long winded answer. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's, and it's something I, I can relate to as well. And it's actually the reason why I have like the social media handle that I have because mm-hmm. people growing up, they, they didn't know how to say my last name. And it's a, it's, it's a Croatian last name. The right. characters like, you know, they, we don't have the right characters in the, in the English language to, you know, to match up with the sounds. And, right. and so people just commonly just mispronounce it. And, and it always starts like a funny conversation of, yeah, where are you from? It's like, well, yeah, I'm from? From, I'm, I'm from California. Um, yeah. And, and <laughs> I feel like we can kind of relate on, on, on that level. And I, I was totally. curious, I was curious to see how, how maybe you've handled that, especially because it looks like you do a fair amount of interviews from just from a, a quick Google search of your name. It's like, this isn't, this isn't foreign to you to be, to be talking about your, your story. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not foreign. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm more so grateful to even have that opportunity to like have the platform, um, that, you know, people are actually interested about. And I don't even think it's interested in me. I think it's just in my, my story and in terms of who and why I'm doing this, um, and what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, people have interviewed me a couple times here and there, but I think the, the reason why is deeper than just me, which makes me feel good about why I'm doing it. Um, cause it's never just about me. Like that's, uh, too simple, <laughs> too simple of a life to just live like that. So, uh, no, I get it completely. So you, you kind of hinted at you're doing this and you're doing it. And you even asked, like, I think you even, you asked yourself right now when you're talking, like, what, like, what am I doing? So mm-hmm. explain to me, what are you doing? What is this or it? Yeah. So I think I'm going to start with my introduction to the Afghanistan national team. Cause I think that was, this is the root of it all. Um, no pun intended since we're also talking about <laughs> Oakland roots. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I was 14 years old when I joined the Afghanistan Women's national team. Um, it was my first international experience. I, uh, traveled to Bangladesh, um, in 2010 and I started to represent my, my homeland, um, at the age of 14. And at that age, I don't think I really understood what I was doing and why I was doing it. But I think that after the two trips, I was too young at the age of 14 um, to realize like how important it was or what I was doing. But after two trips of listening to these women's stories, and I was 14 years old, just imagine a 14 year old in a third world country meeting young women that have gone through much more than I have in my lifetime. Um, and so they, they're telling me stories and they're just, this is their lives, right? The, they don't see it as anything um, incredible or devastating. But when you grow up with incredible privilege here in America, you, you're humbled, you're incredibly humbled. Um, and I think those two two experiences when I was in Bangladesh and two years later when I was in Sri Lanka, um, it humbled me. It grounded me on a, on a different way. I know we go through these trials and tribulations in life that, you know, you definitely get humbled or life humbles you, but it was a different type of um, experience for me 
to interact with these women and, and see what they're going through. And I hinted at this idea of privilege. And I think my whole life, like I've felt this type of guilt almost um, of like, I am incredibly lucky. I have not gone through anything tragic or devastating. My parents are incredibly supportive. They, they pushed me to play soccer. They're, they're supporting me. They want, they see my dreams and they see that. And um, I just felt guilty because I knew that girls my age or girls in Afghanistan did not have that opportunity. And um, after I joined the national team, I think that guilt turned into gratitude and it became more productive. Um, I figured out that this is my means of, of helping. Um, Soccer is all I've known. And so, you know, supporting these women through sport was my way of, you know, giving back and paying it forward. Um, so ever since that moment, it was just like, all right, what's the next step? How do I create a platform for myself so that I can help my team and these women more? Um, so it was next step was let's get recruited to a division one college soccer program. And that happened in my junior year of high school where um, I committed to Santa Clara University and their soccer program um, and then playing for them for four years, which was just like, OK, what's the next step? Right. The constant. What's the next step of you got to this stage? Now you earn a scholarship. Now you become captain your senior year. It's just the, every year was just like, all right, what do I what can I do to make sure that I am creating a platform that I can set up? these other women and not just like Afghan women, obviously um, women in Afghanistan have a special place in my heart, but like our story is not very different from what other women in the world are, are facing. Um, and American women have, we have, we're privileged. We have opportunities that a lot of these women don't have, but we still are fighting, right? We see this with the U S women's national team. So I think what I'm doing long winded answer, <laughs> but um <laughs> The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing um, now is simply to pay it forward and to give back to the community one, particularly this Oakland Bay Area community that has fostered my my soccer talents and my life talents. Um, I always say this, but the Bay raised me. The Bay Area raised me. <laughs> Oakland raised me. Um, I am who I am because of the culture and the people in California, in this Bay Area uh, community. I, I will always, always say that because this is home. I haven't left. Um, and I mean, I'm headed to Italy actually in a week. Um, I'm starting my uh, master's program and I'm also going to be playing in uh, Syria A with Florencia um, starting next week. So, I mean, I haven't left home. This is how grounded Oakland has made me. Um, but I, this is the next step in that process of okay you went to college soccer you had a great career there and now you want to play professional soccer um and so now I'm headed over there but again it's like I'm connected to this community that has given me so much so it's only right for me to again pay it forward it's an amazing story um I want to I want to backtrack to kind of the beginning where you actually you started off your story and you said it was when you were 14 years old and you traveled to Bangladesh, I believe. Mm -hmm. And and the first thing that came to my mind, the first question that came to my mind as you started to talk about that was, okay, here's this girl who 
has these very strong Oakland roots, no pun intended again. Um, <laughs> and she's traveling to Bangladesh to, to play with her, her national team. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, have you, or at that point, had you ever been to Afghanistan? No. And John, I still haven't been. See, this this is have... interesting to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to me too. <laughs> um, it's uh, frustrating. I, I'm I joke about it and I laugh, but um, it hurts. It's uh, it's very tough to be able to represent your country and not have gone or not have had the opportunity to. And at some point, I, I plan on doing so um, in the near future. It's just uh, it's timing. There's just a lot of things that have one, obviously, when I was 14 years old, my, my parents were with the climate in Afghanistan. They were just not going to have it. They were not going to let me go alone, that's for sure. And um, so I understood that. And then when I was in college, I, I was playing Division One soccer. I was captain. There was just no moment in time where I could say I'm going to. And when I go, John, that, this is the thing. I, I'm not I don't want to be that person that just goes for a week and says, oh, like I went back to the homeland. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Um I need to be there for a longer period of time. I need to truly understand like what, what the climate is and and see exactly firsthand train with these girls for a month and see what, what's going on because I have only experienced it through story. Right. And you can, you can empathize through story 100%, but to truly experience it is a different, it's a different feeling. Um, So I still haven't been, and that's one of the f- most frustrating parts of about this whole experience. But I know that I still am rooted. Like I still have roots there. That like I, growing up, my parents did an incredible job of like, you are an Afghan American, you are American, but you are 100% also Afghan. Um, and that has never left me. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because I had a connection with a, a place that I have never been to. And I think that's uh, difficult for most people to say, but even though I haven't been, I don't think it has made me less of an Afghan or less of a, um, you know, person who wants to fight for these women. Um, but I'm hoping, man, fingers crossed <laughs> and soon in the near future, I hope so. I get the opportunity to go back. I'm sure that you've had the same experience that I've had where I've, I've traveled to Europe a handful of times and Mm -hmm. if I, if I travel there and I don't go to Croatia, my family sees it on Facebook or on Instagram and I just get bombarded with messages like, Oh my God, you flew halfway around the world and you didn't even come say hi to us. Like like, what's wrong (laughs) with you? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's tough, but like all my family, they're here in the States. So like all my immediate family I have here, but my teammates, they're, they're back there. And I mean, we have our teammates are spread across the world, to be honest. We have some on the West Coast in the U.S. We have some in Denmark, Holland, um, you know, we're everywhere. But the team team is in Kabul. And um, it's it's tough because I know ex- I know what they're going through. We talk, we we WhatsApp constantly. So it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's fresh. It's fresh, tough. But like I again, like continuously remind myself like a bigger picture here and to not get frustrated and, and these moments of like, I'm not there, I'm not helping yet. And like, 
I got to tell myself like what I'm doing here with my platform, with Oakland Roots, with what I'm doing with Florencia. It's doing something like I'm, I'm trying to remind myself because it's tough. Progress happens slowly <laughs> and progress looks like a lot of failure um, sometimes. So it's tough. Definitely. Tell me about a relationship you have with one of your teammates that's either living in Afghanistan or, or maybe in a similar situation as you and coming from another country to, to mm-hmm. join the team. I, I don't know how many times you guys join each other every year, but yeah. t- tell me, tell, tell me about what, what a relationship is like with, with one of your teammates. So it's interesting. The, when I was 14 years old, I was like the baby, right? I was the baby of the team. So everyone was older and, and everyone felt like a mother figure. Um, and then when I got older, it became more of like, oh, she's, we come from different worlds, right? I, I was born in America. I have different privileges. I have different, um, you know, opportunities that they didn't have. And, and it was always a balancing act of, I am here for you. I see you, I support you, but you also got to fight for yourself. Um, and that conversation I think with the past, we, we just recently, within the past year, um, had our coaching staff completely shift to an American staff. Um, and this staff is incredible. Kelly Lindsay, Haley Carter. Um, and But our, our champion, who has been with the national team before I was, um, Khalida Popal, she is one of those people that I view as a trailblazer. Um, she was a part of the national team, you know, when I wasn't around, when it was actually not, there was no national team. The national team was formed in 2007, 2007, John, <laughs> like it, it, we're brand new. We're a brand new program and call it that this woman has been a trailblazer for us fighting constantly. She, she fled the nation because she was being threatened. Um, and, my relationship with her has she's kind of like taught me what the bigger picture looks like um and my relationship with her has given me a lot of strength because i thought i was strong and then i spoke to her and and the the things that she's gone through and that she's seen it's just uh that's a different type of strength um she's a superhuman um, and then these girls that younger girls now, because now that I've gone older, they're girls that are younger and I'm having these opportunities to talk to them. Um, Medina, um, this one girl on the team, Medina, she is one of those people that makes you feel like you walk on water, even when you're just talking to her. It's incredible. And she has every right to be as bitter and salty and upset with her situation but she isn't and she just wants to learn so every time every training camp she's always asking questions like can I do this can I do this can you teach me this and it's uh I feel very very happy that I had this opportunity to work with her not only her but with the rest of the team but her relationship Medina and Khalida have uh, definitely Given, shown me love in a different type of way. Um, and they're, they're family, they're sisters, they're my sisters. And we, we have said this this past year, we were in Jordan um, for a training camp 
And I think at that moment, Jordan, everyone understood what the bigger picture was. There was no, oh, these are Americans. Oh, she's European. No, the whole team decided that we are Afghan. We are representing something. We're representing a bigger picture. Um, and everyone was bought in. So it was, uh, it was a very, very like momentous moment for the team um, this past January, February. Um, and I'm very grateful for it, for sure. <laughs> it's awesome to hear you talk about this, like the the stories and and how empowering empowering I can't say that word right now. Sorry, um, <laughs> empowering some. Gosh, it sounds weird when I'm saying it. Uh, <laughs> but how how these situations can 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 be used in different ways for for different people too. So you kind of described like the the person, the more experienced person using mm-hmm. it a, a, a little bit differently than the younger, than the younger players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hesitant to ask this only because I don't want the, the energy of the conversation to change between us, but I also want people to get an idea of maybe what's still happening in, yeah. in, in, you know, players lives and, and how they're having to kind of, you know, move from the soccer field, which could be a very great, and positive experience, you know, getting together with all the teammates, but then having mm-hmm. to re-enter normal life. So the the younger player that you were just talking about, you you mentioned right. that she has every reason to be salty and 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 to you know, yeah, like she she has something going on in her life that right. is negative. Obviously, can yeah. w- without without you know completely. Yeah, changing the temperature of the conversation. Can you maybe explain a little bit so people can can understand what what that situation might look like for that player? Completely. Um, I I'm not gonna give names, but I'll give broad stories that have been repeated time and time again. And those stories have unfortunately haven't changed um, since I joined the team when I was 14. Um, but the most common the most common story that you hear is. Um, one, my, the families of these women, of these young girls, um, don't support them. Um, so they're either told, you know, get out of the house or you can't go to training or, um, you know, when they're walking to training, which is, this is the most common that I've heard is when they're going towards training, they are either spit on or thrown rocks at, um, and called very inappropriate names, um, for running around in shorts um, and just to, just going to training, this is what they're experiencing, being yelled at and, and taunted and ostracized. Um, the fact that they are playing on a field and next thing you know, there is a military holica- uh, helicopter landing on the very field that they're playing on and they are rushed off the field. Um, and it, their access to to resources like we have here in America is just not there. They don't have that. Um, it's uh, it's very frustrating to to hear these stories, and and I don't want to get into too much of what these young women are going through, but it's heartbreaking. And I, I um, I've only touched upon two things, right? The being ostracized when they go to practice and, and having the very limited resources, the fact that they're being told that um, what is the value of you playing soccer? Um, you are not good. 
you are not doing anything. You're actually bringing shame to the country for playing soccer. And that has not changed. If you look at any of our social media posts, you will find a handful of people who are still not with the program. They, they have this mentality of, you know, women are not supposed to be out and about playing soccer, running around in shorts and, this idea of women of being held um, within the household is very much so prevalent. And, but I mean, we have some people who are championing us, but it doesn't seem like it's enough right now, especially for the women in Afghanistan. Um, they, they don't have support, John. And here in America, we constantly have, we have people, we have brands, we have a national team who's fighting for, um, equality within the sport, within pay, but we have no one there fighting for them. There's like no voice that is being heard. And if you raise your voice, it there's you have you have no power in that sense. So these young women, they they're fearful, fearful to raise their voice and say, "This is not right." because they will be reprimanded in some way, shape, form, or other. It doesn't matter, but whether that's within their own household, within the, their community, it's, it's very tough. It's very, very tough what they're dealing with. And I can only hope, and that the reason why I feel so passionate about this and strong about this is I, I live here. My life is not being threatened on a daily basis. I'm not being told I can't go to training because if I do, something will happen. I can speak up. I can say these things because I have the luxury of not living there, which is very, very unfortunate. So, yeah, I am going to be vo vocal. And I'm going to say that these things that these women are going through are not right, that we need people celebrating and championing these women, women because I have that luxury. Um, I, I have told the other girls in, in America that, and in Europe that are on the national team, like we, we are their voice. We have to be their voice um, because it's, they have none. They're not given any, or at least they're told that they don't have one. Um, and this sport and this national team that we've created is, is breaking that. It's telling them you have a voice. This is how, you, this is how change starts. Change starts with little steps and you taking a step to join the national team is one huge step for women in Afghanistan. Tell me, tell me about your dad, because in this situation, it sounds weird to say, but your, your dad is a minority where he is a male from, mm -hmm. you know, the Afghanistan community that is promoting and helping uh, mm -hmm. women in sports. And and I know just from listening to you talk about it and, and just from the, I, I, I have to assume from what I've seen uh, in the news in, in years past that that is not the most welcomed idea. Um, and so your, your dad is kind of like an outlier where he's, you know, raised you here in America and he's, he's been by your side this entire time and, and, mm -hmm. and kind of pushed you to, to achieve whatever you want to achieve. Tell, mm -hmm. tell me, tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and, and yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll stop there and let you start talking. Sorry. <laughs> sure. No, no, you're good. Um, 
I have said this at the beginning of the interview, um, and I will continue saying this in any interview that I say, but my parents are everything. Um, my dad, especially, uh, he is an outlier. Like you said, he, he coached soccer, um, in Afghanistan and Kabul. Um, and when he came to the United States, um, during the Russian war, he immediately was thrown into thrown himself into soccer because soccer is life. And, and that was a sport. And then when he met my mom, he threw my brother <laughs> when, when my, he had my brother that he was going to play soccer. So everything started with soccer. It was life. Um, and so for him to, for a second child to be a young girl, um, I think might have been a very big moment for him. And I don't, I haven't had this conversation with him, but I can only assume this is why. Uh, I went to almost every game of my brothers when I was little, every game. And I was on the field just as much as he was. And it was an immediate love for the game that I think he saw in me and that he was happy to see because he's seen what young women in Afghanistan have gone through when they don't have something that they're an opportunity that they have or uh, something that they're passionate about when they don't have that. It's the common, um, you go to school and then you get married and then you have kids and your life is lived for, for the man. Um, and I think, and I don't know this for sure, John, but I, I, the way he's raised my brother and I, it's always felt like that. Like he always wanted me to see the bigger picture of if, that. I had an opportunity that I wasn't born in Afghanistan, that I had these opportunities to play professional soccer, to play collegiate soccer and to aspire to that. Um, and I was the first in my family on the girl side to play a sport. Um, and he, he started that, like, my dad was the second oldest brother, and uh, the rest of the family kind of looked up to him. So once he threw me into soccer, it was kind of like, okay, for the rest of the family to say, oh, my daughter wants to play this sport, like, it's okay. He was forward thinking, and I, and I owe that, I owe everything to him. He took me to every practice, every game. Um, he drove me to Southern California countless, countless times. He flew with me to every ECNL tournament. That man was the most committed father. Like I, and it wasn't even something that he was taught. Like he, he, he had to learn this on on his own. Um, and people, even my own family, at times were like, "Why are you letting your daughter play? Why are you doing this?" And and he, he would say, "Like she's gonna be great." She's going to be, this is what she wants to do. She's going to be great. Um, and, and for me, that was everything to have someone, one, my dad, of course, but my mom, for sure, both of these people, pillars in my life, supporting me and saying what I value, this dream that I have for myself, I see it, I respect it and I support it. Um, and, and I am where I am today because of it. It's all kind of making sense to me after hearing you talk a little bit about your story and, and, and just talk about your dad and, and almost like he in a, in one sense was like an ambassador for the family where, mm -hmm. you know, he, he kind of pushed you or, or pushed you and your brother into a certain direction and then everybody else kind of followed suit. 
So it almost seems natural that you would find your way into leadership positions. And you've already hinted at um, one of your goals was to become the captain of your of your team at Santa Clara. And, mm-hmm. and you achieved that. And then I guess it's probably a good time now to, to say why we're even talking on this interview is that you you have a new ambassador role with a with a program based in Oakland. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But you you seem to have just naturally been pushed towards leadership. Did you did you ever notice that at any at any point in your career? Like was it was it um uh I guess maybe one way I should I I should ask it a different way. Did you did it just all happen naturally or did you recognize that these things were happening and then you had to like actually seek out these opportunities? I think up until um, I think my freshman year of college, I realized that I realized it. And then, but before that, I think everything happened naturally. Um, My dad was always that person, John, that would say like, you play the game, not for you. You play the game for your team. This, this team first mentality, this, group over self mentality has always been like instilled. Um, So even at a very young age, I was always like, I wanted to make my teammates look really, really good because I was told like, that's how you become a good player. And I mean, you watch the best soccer players in the world. I mean, at least the midfielders, because I play midfielder, like they make everyone else look good and they, they're like the backbone. They, they're solid. They work hard. They lead. Um, and my dad just kind of fostered that environment of like, you you are who you are, but it only matters if you're doing something for someone else, if you are doing something for a bigger picture. Um, so I think up until then, I just kind of was like, okay, like these leadership qualities definitely um popped in and out, especially through high school. And then I was also captain of my rate or my club team. Um, but at that young age, it's kind of just whoever speaks the most. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I got to college, I realized as a freshman that my voice was powerful, even as a freshman, like I knew my place. I knew that I wasn't a captain. I wasn't a senior and I didn't have the experience, but this whole idea of leadership and followership definitely um, was recognized my freshman year. And I realized I can help more people when I'm actually vocal and I am, you know, championing others and celebrating others every day. Um, and then my senior year of college, I learned a huge, huge amount of what leadership actually looks like. And it looks like servant leadership. It's not anything other than here's a captain band and, you know, you play well, so you're on the field. Servant leadership makes sure that the rest of the team, their voice is being heard. Um, And I think from that moment, I just was like, this is this is something bigger than me. Like I obviously have been fostered. These qualities have been fostered at a very young age, thanks to my dad and my brother and my mom. But I think it just took a mind of its own because my leadership style is very different than my dad's, but it's, it's still a 
team first idea, this group first idea, which has brought me to Oakland roots. Um, and now I am a part of, I've been a part of a community that I'm so, so proud of. And if you are from the Bay area, you know how proud Oakland is. Everyone is so proud to be from here and people that are not even really from Oakland will always say like, I rep the Bay area. I represent the Bay area. And I, and I appreciate that. I know some people get like upset, like, Oh, you're not part of Oakland, but (laughs) the more people, the better, to be honest, this is my idea of what community looks like. Our community is so incredibly strong and our culture is so beautiful here that people from not even our city want to be a part of it. And that's beautiful. And, and the only way that our community gets better and continues to grow is if we have people celebrating the very community that it built. So I think it, it, for me, it was just a no brainer to be a part of something like this. This is home. This will always be home. Even if I'm across the world in Florence, Italy, like this is home. And the only way for me to support and celebrate that is to be a part of organizations that are pushing boundaries and, and trying to bring opportunity and programs to not only, you know, professional leagues, but the youth. I think the youth is the, the most important part, especially young girls. Um, we have a bunch of sports teams here in the Bay Area. But do we have a soccer team in Oakland? No. And we deserve that. And I think that the city of Oakland deserves to have a women's team, a men's team that they can, they can call their own. I, and see, this is where I'm sure that you haven't listened to to a lot of the episodes of this podcast, but a lot of times we talk about like cities like Oakland, not having a team. And I take Mm -hmm. the position that Oakland can harbor 10 teams, men's and women's. And that 100%. You know, <laughs> so right. That that Oakland can, you know, that within Oakland there are a number of different identities, and uh, and and each one of those communities within Oakland should should have their own team fighting to be in like a first division or second division or third division. So, this is getting into more a little bit about like the political aspect of the American soccer system that that yeah. this podcast also focuses on sometimes. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to steer this conversation in that direction. <laughs> No, but it, I mean, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid topic because the model here in America is pay to play. Yep. Um, and we are limiting these communities that are harboring so much talent. It's incredible. Uh, but they don't have the opportunity because of this pay to play model to expose the youth and these youth are incredible. They are so, so talented, but the fact that I don't mean to throw any shade, but the fact that the U.S. did not make the World Cup in our population is X times bigger than Iceland's and, and all these smaller nations. Croatia, like, we're not doing something. We're doing something differently, and we need to change it. If it hasn't been working for the past some odd years, we have to change. And, and this pay-to-play model is limiting the talent that – that the U.S. can, you know, foster and, man, there's just so much opportunity. And that's why, like, Oakland deserves this. And you said it yourself. There's so many different identity groups that 
in Oakland, we'd have 10 teams and all of them would be highly competitive and we could have create our own little MLS. That's how, <laughs> how much talent is harbored in the Bay area. Um, in California, and, I'm, and obviously this, this expands to the whole U.S., but Oakland, we deserve a team, and, and it's I'm so proud to be a part of a program that, that sees that, that sees value in our city. Tell, tell me a little bit about what Oakland Roots actually is. So is it a team? Is it an organization? Is it a league? Like I, I'm, people listening right now have, have heard us kind of make the puns the, the whole podcast, but what is Oakland Roots? So it's a sports club. Um, we're obviously more than just a soccer club, but the organization is a sports club pushing to bring, um, you know, professional soccer for women's and men's uh, teams. And it's beyond soccer. We, again, like if you look at our management team, the whole team, um, everyone is, has been a part of a, a social good platform. They've, they've been pushing organization or been a part of nonprofits or have done things that, um, are trying to push the game forward for the youth, for the community. And we have created this incredible team of people who want to bring something for Oakland, um, whether that's a women's team, a professional women's team, or is that a men's team, or is it both? We are trying to create that, this program, this club um, that Oakland residents can be proud of and can champion um, and that we can, and it's beyond the just professional soccer. I, this goes to the youth. And I think that the youth is the most important aspect of what we're doing. Um, when you put professional soccer players or professional soccer in front of young kids, they're going to aspire to be someone like them. And it's going to push them to, you know, be doing good stuff and not get caught up in the wrong things and to see hope and that there's an out of this cyclical nature that people have, you know, that are in. So we are more than just a, a, uh, a soccer club. We are pushing for social good in Oakland through sport. And I think that to do that through sport is the best way. Everyone loves sport. It's a healthy um, way of bringing the community together. I want to tell you what comes to my mind when, when you're talking about this type of stuff, because I like the way that you put it saying that if, if the kids have those role models in those professional environments, that that's mm -hmm. what they're going to aspire to be. And this is where I get really kind of ticked off about some of the people that start programs for kids. And this, and, and I don't want to get into like semantics now because I, I say inner city programs and people are yeah. like, Oh, don't call them inner city programs. I, I don't want people to focus on, on the words of that more so like the the idea behind those programs is that they're a lot of those things are great tools right like like they're amazing to give kids something to do for an hour or 2 hours after school right but those are those are just programs Th those are not opportunities and and kids need opportunities and communities need opportunities and and mm -hmm. providing this professional aspect or this professional outlet for these kids mm -hmm. to aspire to be part of, whether that, whether it is 
on the actual team or part of, you know, management or part of working game day operation, whatever, right? But giving these right. kids an, an actual opportunity to change their lives instead of just escape their lives for an hour a day, like, you know, most inner city programs kind of are, are, are set up to be. I think mm-hmm. that is far, far, far more beneficial what you guys are doing. I, I feel like that is so beneficial for, for the community of Oakland and, and for those kids than just giving them, you know, a, an hour after school to kind of just kick a ball around. And then next year that, op, that program is, is gone or, or they're too right. old for it or, or something like that. So I don't know if that's part of the conversation that you guys have as, as a management team, if you guys are doing that, um, knowingly, but no, this you... is, it's, it's been do, like, we're doing this knowingly, John, like, we we are a part of Oakland like we've seen it we've grown up seeing it um and these programs and these programs even those hour two hour programs they're incredibly important because some families don't have access to anything more um but that's why we're we're doing this is to create opportunities that just go beyond the day-to-day this is something that okay this is a program that my kid can join um, we, we have, we have big plans for Oakland beyond just creating a sports team. Um, creating a sports team comes with supporting the community that supports us. So it, we have a lot of things in mind. Um, definitely in the future, you'll see what, what we're planning on doing, but the, the inner city programs incredibly important. Um, but like you said, it's just an escape. Um, and we want to make their reality a, and for me, like, for example, soccer is an escape from reality, right? But to have, to create this space for them to say, my, my reality is actually, I don't need to escape from my reality because I have these opportunities to, you know, play soccer, get scouted for college. I can play college soccer. It's everything. I, I've been ending a lot of interviews and people that listen to this podcast are probably getting sick of me introing or introducing this question the same way, but, uh, I've been asking a lot of people lately, what do people need to know? And, and everybody, every guest has their own like little twist on how they answer that, that question. And, and I want to, kind of throw that to you and, and, and give you an opportunity to, to think back on the entire conversation we've had and, and, you know, other projects that might be on your plate or, or things that are in your future. Mm-hmm. But if I ask you, what do people need to know? What, what comes to your mind? Um, our, our dreams and our goals only matter if they're rooted into something real and our communities that we are a part of are real. These are real people going through real struggles and they deserve real opportunity. Um, So if I could leave you and your guests with one thing is that our dreams only matter if they're rooted in something real. Sorry, I'm typing that because that might end up being the title of the episode. (laughs) I, I, I think... I think that's powerful. That's it. Kind of goes back to what you were just saying: is like providing those opportunities for for these kids. Like, if it's rooted in something real, well, they're gonna they're gonna grab hold of that and and they're gonna run with it. But if it's if it's not rooted in anything, then 
yeah, then there there there's nothing to there's nothing to grasp onto. The foundation's everything. Um, and I think that there's so many soccer programs. I see it and I was a part of a bunch growing up that just kind of churned out kids, right? Our parents would pay money, we would go in, we would play for a season, come back, play another amount of money, and and it just wasn't creating the opportunities that these kids deserve. Um, and that's what we're doing with Oakland Roots. It's amazing. Um, I have to, I'm going to send Tommy a, a text right now and tell him, thank you for, for setting up this interview. Cause this is not what I expected. And it, this was a, a blast to, to get a chance to learn about you and, and your playing history, your personal history, and, and then a little bit about your future and what, what Oakland kind of has in store for it. It's going to be exciting to watch it, to watch it grow. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me, John. I really appreciate it. I mean, um, the story, this is just the beginning of Oakland roots and I have so much faith in one, the team and Oakland itself that we're going to be great and it's going to help a lot of people and, and we need people to continue to to celebrate the programs that initiatives that are doing exactly what we're doing. Um, so it's just getting linked up with things that matter. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to to share not just my story, but the story of the women in Afghanistan and the Oakland Roots team. I'm really excited. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to today's guest, Halai Argandawal. And I wish her the best of luck in the next stage of her playing career. And also with all of her other ventures in her hometown of Oakland, California. And if you would like to stay in touch with Halai, you can find all of the links to connect with her and to learn more about Oakland Roots by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And while you are there, you can also find out some ways to help support and fund this podcast, primarily the 343 coaching education programs that we offer online. And to talk about his experience with one of our online courses, here is Tom Beyer. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of the information about the 343 Coaching Education Programs and find out how to support this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.